Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul, taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And I can already see some texts coming in with regard to the Primetime Investigates programme last night on the organs that were sent for incineration, the organs of uh, from for eight, from 18 tiny little babies. And it was just heartbreaking uh, to watch. And we did warn people when we were talking with Aoife Hegarty, the producer yesterday, we did warn and she did warn that it was tough to watch at times. But the one thing as I started to watch the programme last night, what flashed back into my mind was the group Parents for Justice. And I had over the years, I had interviewed many, many times representatives and women that were involved with the Parents for Justice group. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of a woman from North Cork. I'm sure she was from somewhere around Newmarket who was part of the Parents for Justice group. And they were the group that was set up in 2009. There was revelations at the time that now it was a much bigger amount of families were involved than the case that we're discussing at the moment with CUMH. It was 21,500 organs. Now it was from deceased children and deceased adults. It was discovered in 2009 that they were retained without the consent of families and some of them were actually sold on to drug companies and I think that was the part of that story that just hurt people so much. I mean, people had to come to terms with the fact that their loved one's organs had been retained without their knowledge. But then when they discovered that some of the organ parts had been sold on to drug companies, some families just really couldn't cope with that uh, news at all. And actually, and it was only last night I started to think about that group, uh, Parents for Justice, and actually see in the papers today, Charlotte Yates, who was one of the women behind that uh, group, she watched the programme last night and said, this is utterly shameful. She said, most of us never found out what happened to our children or what happened to our loved ones' organs. We thought that it would never happen again. And of course, there was so much recommendations came out after 2009 and it was believed that something like this could never happen again. And here we are in October of or September of 2021, sitting down watching a television programme and having to watch a young Cork couple, uh, Leona Birmingham and her partner Glenn, and watch the just 
I mean, her heart was broken and I thought they were both so brave to do it to camera, speaking about their little son, Lee. I mean, they're still grieving the fact that they lost this little baby, uh, Lee. And then to have her, to hear her say, you know, my son's brain went into a bin as if it was a piece of rubbish. Why would you put my beautiful son's healthy brain into a, into a bin? And then to know that it went off to be incinerated with other clinical waste. Just the thought of it. God help her. I mean, you could see yesterday how she's going to, both of them are going to need so much counselling to help them come to terms with this news so that they can go on and, you know, live their lives. But goodness, it's going to take... Leona and Glenn and the other families involved I think quite some time to come to terms uh, with this and of course the hospital's reason for the move uh, was that their burial space for organs was full okay that's fair enough that can can happen then they were saying that the mortuary had to be cleared because it was feared there would be a rise in death deaths from COVID-19 but bear in mind that some of the organs had laid in storage in the hospital's morgue. In some cases they were there for many many months before this decision was made in into when the pandemic had started and they realised they were going to need mortuary uh, space and we knew that every hospital was on standby to make sure that they would have mortuary space. Remember we were reporting on hospitals and they had refrigeration containers placed outside hospitals because of course everybody was looking to Italy and what had happened in Italy and people were expecting the same thing would happen here. Now thankfully it didn't. We sadly did lose many lives unfortunately in this country but not to the stage that we ended up having to have refrigeration units used outside of hospitals to store bodies until they could be buried. But of course in the early stage of the pandemic they didn't they didn't know it. But I thought one of the experts on the programme last night uh, made a, a good point. I mean how much storage was being taken up by the organs of 18 little deceased babies. It couldn't even have been a baby coffin full of uh, organs. And I still can't understand, and I mentioned this yesterday when I spoke to Aoife Hegarty, we have a beautiful crematorium in Cork. If they decided that they were going to need every single bit of available space inside in the mortuary, could somebody not have taken the remains and gone to the crematorium and spoke to the owners of the crematorium and said, is there any way that these but these babies' organs can be sent to the crematorium rather than place them into some kind of, I'm assuming, a container to go for incineration out of the country along with the rest of the clinical waste. And that still hasn't been answered by CUMH as to why that decision not to go to the crematorium and why would they go to an incinerator rather than to a crematorium where the body, where the little organs would have been treated with uh, dignity. And then, of course, it was in mid-May of 2020, hospital management sent an incident report on the incinerations. They sent it to the Department of Health. Question mark there. The Department of Health failed to make the incident public. So obviously there's going to be a number of questions as to why the Department of Health just sat on that report from the management at the hospital and then management at CUMH. They didn't rate the incident involving the incineration of the baby's organs last year as serious, but they did express concern about the adverse publicity for the hospital if it were to come to public attention. And that was according to an email that was seen and was spoken about last night on the programme, but it was seen by a senior, sent by a senior pathology staff at uh, in Cork. 18 families have been contacted, told this distressing news that the organs of their deceased 
babies had been sent for incineration. And uh, I see that the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, uh, came out because he would have been health minister during the original organ retention scandal that I spoke about when the Parents for Justice was set up. He spoke in the doll yesterday and he says he's now seeking uh, assurances that it, it did not happen anywhere else. And also we've got to make sure that it never happens ever again. And the Sinn Féin leader, Mary New MacDonald, said it's beyond belief that we're at this point again. And that was the one thing, as I say, that came through quite strongly to me yesterday was watching it and thinking, here we go again. We dealt with this in 2009. It is hard to believe that it's it's happening. But can we just send out a big virtual hug over the radio to Leona Birmingham and to her partner Glenn and indeed to the other families of the 18 who are all really grieving and really trying. They're, they're grieving because they've lost babies in the last year and a half and they're grieving now to know that a part of their baby was sent along with clinical waste and sent for incineration out, out of the country. It, just, it was truly, truly shocking. And I mentioned yesterday when I had Eva Hegarty on from the Primetime Investigates, they're really good at doing those programmes. So well done to Eva and the team for putting that programme together, but particularly well done to Leona and to Glenn, who were so brave to speak on camera and uh, because that wasn't an easy thing for them uh, to do. Uh, one listener says, uh, Patricia, people should be fired for their role in disposing of these babies' organs. What's the point in investigating it? It's plain they didn't care less. It's the same as the last time. It's heartless and it is utterly disrespectful. Yeah, and nobody seems to think of the families uh, involved. But I suppose another question that uh, and we and somebody has to be Oh, I can't say pat it on the back, but somebody put their head above the parapet. Somebody decided to speak up to the point that the families had to be contacted because all of the families were obviously of the belief that the organs that had been retained had been buried somewhere and they'd been, none of them would have known except that the hospital made the calls to the 18 uh, families. So I'm not quite saying it's a whistleblower, but obviously somebody decided to say those families need to be contacted or did somebody threaten to go public, uh, I wonder. But yeah, people saying very difficult programme to watch last night, but Patricia says, uh, Charlie... I can't believe that we're watching it in this day and age. And then Nora said, I lost a little baby many, many years ago. Let's remember anyone today who's lost a baby watching a programme like that brings back all of that untold grief. And the lady's name that I was trying to remember for Parents for Justice, I knew she was somewhere in the North Cork area, was Bree the Butler from uh, Rock Chapel. And she joined us on so many occasions when that group, Parents for Justice, uh, were fighting to find out what happened to the organs of the children that were removed and later incinerated without their knowledge and um, I'm open to question but wasn't it was it her little baby was her, her baby was Joseph if I remember rightly she had a little baby Joseph uh, who had died and then she discovered that his organs had been removed uh, without her knowledge and had been incinerated so thank you to a number of people pointing out that that's uh, what her name was 1850 and just very briefly somebody else wants to talk about another programme that was on TV and this is the Tonight Show which I have to put my hands up and say I didn't see uh, Michael in Castletown Bear says Patricia having listened to the Tonight Show last night my favourite subject was in full flow planning Napoleon Bonaparte once said 
impossible is not a word to be found in the Dictionary of Fools. I and many others have been calling for the 1963 Planning Act to be rewritten as there are sections and addendums in that Act that are unconstitutional. Full stop. Rewritten, not a comprehensive review. Utter rubbish to have a tweak here and a tweak there. It's just more blah, blah, blah. Planners will be told to have regards for this, that and everything else. But sadly, this is not worth the paper it's written on. Planning laws and planners, according to Michael, has reduced this country's housing to chaos. They've miserably failed. It is totally anti-rural. We cannot call this country a free country if draconian planning laws and bylaws prevent young people and indeed old people from building a house on a farm that many of them were born and raised on. That a farmer cannot sell a site to somebody in order to clear a debt or perhaps to educate their children. Furthermore, planners with no knowledge of an area can come along and move a site location from from reasons none other than I feel to be seen to put a stamp on it. Telling older people to move into towns and cities and urban areas is writing their death certificates. They'll die the day they move. Older people can give much more than you can ever imagine. Government should buy up a lot of the old rundown country houses and then sell them back to couples who can renovate them and live in them at cost price. The Bearer Peninsula once had a population of 40,000 people. Today it stands at 3,000 people approximately. Not all because of planning, but it definitely didn't help. When I was in sixth class in Cahamore National School, there was 126 pupils on the roll book. Today, Cahamore, Lenamore, Dursey and Allahees. That's four schools have all combined into one school in Cahamore, which now has a roll call of just 52 pupils. There is no problem with broadband, by the way, in this area. As a matter of fact, says Michael, I actually have better broadband here than I had above in the County Hall. And that's from Michael in Castletown Bear, uh, once again saying how our planning laws are definitely anti-rural. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, staff within the National Ambulance Service are at breaking point as the service struggles to provide resources to ensure there is regional cover. Both government and opposition TDs are expressing alarm at the time ambulances are now spending from outside their normal operations. Areas and joining me with more on this, uh, Cork East Adult Deputy for Sinn Fein, Pat Buckley. Good morning, to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Can you firstly give examples of that you're hearing about of ambulances responding to cover far away from their base? Yeah, I suppose. Look, if we go into our own constituency here in East Cork, for starters, it's well known that the ambulance that would be normally based in Yall spends the majority of its time in Waterford and Kilkenny. Uh, on calls. Now, I'm also very well aware from talking to um, ambulance staff that the majority of their days are actually, there's been more time sitting in the ambulance travelling to and from calls than actually responding to the calls because of the way the ambulance service is deployed. They could be halfway to a call when the dispatch will say, you can turn back because there's another ambulance here that's closer. So they actually end up turning around and heading back in towards East Cork. And it's absolutely mind-boggling. They're also the fact that 
uh, it was just covered as recently as last Friday, and I'll quote it. It says, Concerns have also been raised over the use of gathered patrol cars to transport patients to hospitals oh. instead of ambulances, with the Gather Representatives Association saying it's inappropriate to put the Gardaí in such a position. Also, um, SIPTO's health sector said that it's mind-boggling what's happening here. And I think... I think the best one, I suppose, the best way to give an example of it, and it's actually a quote as well, was um, it says, it's a crazy situation in the control centres. A call comes in, someone rings 999, they will look up where the next available resource is. You might have all the services allocated, and the next available one is in Castletown Beer, which was, and, and the ambulance would be sent to Waterford City, which is almost three hours away. And that's what's happening. Yeah, I know Ralph Regan had a piece in the paper yesterday, you know, he was giving further examples of like a road traffic accident that happened out on Slayhead in County Kerry. The ambulance in Castletown Bear in West Cork was sent. That's a two and a half hour drive because there wasn't a Kerry ambulance available because they were either out in a call or they were somewhere else up the country. And then a Tipperary ambulance was was tasked to respond to an incident near close to the Aran Islands I mean just and that's the way the ambulance service is running now that they're they're saying that the crews are not restricted to specific graphic geographical areas but that as you say it's leading to ambulance drivers driving spending most of their time driving around the country but does it also mean that paramedics on board they must work much longer hours it is and and another issue and I know it's prevalent in East Cork because I have, as I said, spoke to some uh, members of us. There is a massive um, lack of personnel and staff. So some of these ambulances can't even be manned. Then you have the issues with the rapid response vehicle. Well, yes, it's very, very welcome and the advanced paramedics that, you know, operate these. But they can't transport uh, patients. They only have limited uh, amount of oxygen, i.e. for accidents and stuff. So it's our ambulances that are the ones we need on the ground. Over time-wise, yes, um, because of the lack of staff, some members are being asked to work overtime, but that overtime could consist of an additional 12 or 13-hour shift. And that's obviously leading to burnout. Absolutely. And I I can tell you straight out, because they have been on to me trying to raise concerns, even in some of the bases, the conditions. I know one where there's only an actual container, and they actually have to go four flights of stairs just to get to a toilet in a different building. And I mean, it's, it's archaic. And, and, and only yesterday I got in the following text from a, a listener to say, I'm in COH A&E department with my mother. She was taken in by ambulance. Currently, there are four ambulance crews waiting uh, a few hours each to hand over their patients to the hospital staff. Absolutely shocking waste of resources when surely one nurse could monitor the patients and let the ambulance crew get back on duty. 13 ambulances on duty in County Cork by night, but you could have half of them unavailable waiting to hand over patients at what is already an overstretched A&E department. I mean, that's a and further problem, delays at our hospital A&Es in the handing over of patients. It is, Patricia, and again, I spoke to members of, of staff again, and it's and genuinely told me straight out that it wasn't actually the CUH's problem, for instance, in this. It was actually the fact of the lack of staff in A&E that slows this down. So it is a major, major staffing issue, you know, across all the board. But, I mean, when you see the headlines like the National Ambulance Service at breaking point, we've seen head, headlines in another local newspaper Today, Cork brace for mental health fallout 
you know, it doesn't look good when we're coming into the winter season here. And you're right, it is burnout within the staff. And I mean, we probably all at some stage needed to use the ambulance service. I certainly have, and you'd be damn glad when you see one. But the issue is where it's coming from, how long it takes. We have to go back to the brass tax of basics. I know because I was told, I think it was last Christmas, it was at a certain stage and a point in, at night, there was actually no ambulance cover in Cork. Wow. Because ambulances were dispatched everywhere else. So do we need more ambulances and more trained paramedics? I mean, is Absolute, that, is that, abs- is that a simple solution? Well, it is. And our population is growing all the time. So demand is going to grow. We have a kind of a, you know, a rural, city rural, we'll say country area. We have a lot of, we'll say, secondary roads and regional roads. You know, it's not all motorway accessible and stuff. We have to go back to, I suppose... I think go back to the demographic and populations and base your um, crews on that, you know, the common sense approach. I mean, even for Cork County, which is a huge county, I mean, it's a vast, vast area to cover. And as you said a while ago, I mean, I've had people visit from Tipperary and they come to Cork City and they go, where in Cork have we far to go? And I'm saying, you have another hour and a half or two hours Mm. to head west. Mm. They don't realise it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 shocking stuff, and it's one of those things. You know, we never know the hour or the day where you or I or a family member is going to be in need of an ambulance, and then you it's in your it's in your face the realization that oh, there either isn't an ambulance available, or you and you'll hear lots of stories of people saying they've waited many many hours for an ambulance uh, to turn up. So certainly, yeah, it it does absolutely need to be looked at. Absolutely, and you, and you have to think of the staff. I mean, they're absolutely exemplary. I mean, my God, what they go through and the hours they put through, they're absolutely fabulous, and they should be given credit where credit's due. But they should also be given support from this government and from the HSC. As you said, you just don't know when you'll need them. And I mean, just, it's just, crazy in 2021. Just by the way, because I can see another call coming in on this, and we're just constantly getting calls on this on a daily basis. People on medical cards trying to access a dentist. I'm assuming you and every other TD are getting the same level of calls. We're actually working on, on some policy on it at the moment. And you're right. I mean, dental hygiene is extremely important. And even when we even see in my, my own personal case, even when I work with our counterparts in the, the six counties, you, you'll see the difference in oral hygiene even when you're speaking to people. I mean, yeah, there it, it has to be a major, major investment in this. And we're certainly working on it in our budget, pre-budget. Um, but the dental, so, I mean, I've spoken with the Dental Association uh, on this programme so, f- over the last number of years. I mean, they have been threatening to pull out uh, way before they started doing it. Now we're at the stage where most of the dentists have pulled out of the medical card uh, scheme. And people are going around. I mean, the very thought of being in pain with a toothache and you can't get in to see a dentist. There's no uh, dentist taking on medical card patients. Yeah, and it, it is very, very worrying. And uh, as you said, m- when you're in that position, my God. And, and dentistry in Ireland is expensive. Mm. You know, it is very, very expensive. I think, oh, it is. Budget. It is if people are tr- trying to uh, trying to p- uh, pay for themselves. Uh, anyway, sorry, I just saw some calls coming in. I was saying it is, it's almost on a daily basis. And just very funny while, while I have you on the line because it is an issue we've uh, we've addressed before and this is the Onacara Ona um, Mental Health Facility in uh, Middleton. The news at the moment is the they've the HSE have pushed off the closure for October the 31st and that literally is down to they don't have lack of 
lack of, yeah, lack of placements. It's just, it's, yeah, as plans. anyone could have told them that they're, 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 they're not ten a penny, those, those places. But is it still, I mean, families still fighting? Is there still a hope that this centre could be maintained? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that you know we'll have to come to some agreement. You hit the nail on the head. They were saying there actually is no place for um, these patients. I mean, there was, as I said, there was a hitting on a local uh, independent paper today. Cork Brace for Mental Health Fallout. This came from the Joint Policing Committee with uh, the Clinical Director for Mental Health Services, Dr. Sinead O'Brien, confirmed that there's going to be a massive increase on demand for mental health services and we still have the HSC adamant to close the centre in Middleton. I can give you a slight update. I have repeatedly called for the Minister and his department and the HSC to engage with myself and all other East Cork TDs. I've emailed Minister Donnelly again. We've I've contacted uh, Minister of State Mary Butler requesting that we join together and meet jointly. I've got very, very sketchy Practically no response from those, and I'm extremely angry and disappointed about that. The communications with the department and the HSC are, you might as well have blank replies, to be honest with you, Patricia, blank piece of paper. I do know that the desk services have practically ceased because I've been in contact with some very, very stressed stressed, um, family members. And apparently that um, some of these services, the day services, People are being met by staff, possibly staff members, uh, in a coffee shop in Middleton. That's not, that's no, the, that's the new uh, counselling stuff. No, it's... Yeah, and, and the I'm, course, I'm you know, the staff... God help the staff, they're, they're trying to do the best uh, that, uh, that they can. And, you know, the other thing that I keep, whenever I talk about the closure of uh, Onakora, we have to bear in mind, this is the only residential unit of its kind in the area. Absolutely. And as I, Let's as not said, forget that. No, it's the only no, one. No, and, I, and I've called repeatedly as the joined up one. This is for services. This is not about pl- uh, scoring political points. We, we should all be continuing to fight for the local health services in Middleton. It's as simple as that. It's a no-brainer. Now, we did have a, uh, we did have men into the subcommittee last week and I did, you know, put it hard to the HSC that they didn't have a plan A, never mind the plan B. But again, very, very sketchy and very, very poor um, responses from those. I have been looking at other um, hospitals around, we say, the Cork County. And I've been doing a bit of research even very early this morning. And all of those are falling in under the non-compliant for actually the condition of the buildings. So what I would be suggesting and calling for here, and I will be approaching all TDs in Cork and asking for their support, is that the government put in a massive investment into mental health services in the whole of Cork County and City. But also, it must be imperative that we actually now have to start planning for the future and start building purpose-built, you know, uh, long-term uh, residence for these people. Because we're going to need them. Can be protected for the next hundred years. Yeah, we're going to need them. And again, it's it's like a bit with the ambulance. We never know when you or I or a family member is going to need uh, those services. Pat, I'll let you go. Um, thank you for that. And, and thank thanks you. for joining us uh, on the programme. That is uh, Cork East Sinn Féin Doll Deputy Pat Buckley. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
Bye. Now, Laura Lynn, which is Ireland's only children's hospice, is this week celebrating a decade of care with the Laura Lynn House opening 10 years ago this week. To chat about the service and its plans to expand, I'm joined by CEO Kerry Lafferty. Good morning to you, Kerry. Good morning, Patricia. And firstly, congratulations. Ten years of Laura Lynn House is is just remarkable and, and the care and the service that you provide. I suppose, can you just start by taking us back and remind listeners of how it all came about? Sure. Um, well, Laura Lynn was actually, uh, I suppose it was founded upon the tragic story of uh, Jane and Brendan McKenna, whose daughters, Laura and Lynn, both sadly passed away. And it was after the, the death of their second daughter, Lynn, um, where she died of leukaemia and uh, she was thankfully able to be supported at home for end of life care. But her parents, I suppose, realised the lack of choice that was available for families when their child was dying. So at the time, there was only the option of a child dying in hospital or at home. So they began research into UK hospices, which are, uh, at the time, there was many more hospices available in the UK. And they did a lot of research and they joined forces with the Children's Sunshine Home, who uh, are based in Leopardstown, where our current campus is. And so the, the two joined forces to, uh, I suppose, to begin fundraising and uh, to begin the research around building Laura Lynn Children's Hospice, which opened in September of 2011. It's incredible. And, and I've interviewed Jane uh, and Brendan many times in the past. They're just, they're a remarkable uh, couple indeed and, and what they've done in memory of their two beautiful uh, little girls. And of course, as with hot the hospice movement it's more than just about end of life care Kerry Absolutely, absolutely. I, I suppose one of the things that we say um, is about going on the journey with, with families. Uh, sadly, children who are diagnosed with life-limiting conditions can often go through long periods uh, of requiring palliative care. So uh, where sometimes with adult palliative care, it, it can be often short-lived and, and the focus can often be around end-of-life care. With children's hospice care, uh, we, we tend to be on, on long journeys with our families and indeed many of the families um, who we still care for today has been with us since the opening um, but it, as you say it, it's more than just around end of life it's about uh, for us we, we deliver I suppose it's about putting making memories it's about uh, putting quality of life uh, into allowing these uh, families to to have time together and to allow mum and dad to be parents as opposed to nurse and doctor and to allow the children I suppose to, to have some uh, some childhood experiences and to, to give that time to the family together whilst obviously availing of the, the clinical supports that are so essentially in place to ensure that that can happen. Yeah, and that's what I love about Laura, Laura Lynn is, well, you know, the main focus obviously is always going to be on the, the child. The entire family benefits, the parents and siblings even. Absolutely. Since we've opened uh, 10 years ago, we've provided care to over 2,500 individuals, so 520 children, but over 2,000 of the extended families, so mums, dads, parents, grandparents, siblings. We have, um, I suppose, one of the the widest, I would say, family support teams um, ranging from physiotherapy, occupational therapy, play therapy, music therapy, and all of these, um, I suppose, are 
encompass to give the whole family opportunities to come together um, and we you know we focus on, uh, on siblings indeed uh, our play therapist does a lot of work with the siblings around it can be anticipatory grief or indeed after the, the death of, of a brother or sister it can be often very difficult for young children to express the emotions mm. um, that they have around that time and so they get the opportunity to explore that with our, our range of family support well therapists. Well done and you're marking the 10th anniversary by expanding your service and Cork is to be one of the first regions. Tell me about that. That's right. So I suppose what we've realised over the 10 years is is that we've come an awful long way. We have done a huge amount, but there's still so much that we need to do. And we know that there are so many more families out there that need our support. I suppose that one of the restrictions about being geographically based in Dublin is that about 75% of the families who access our service come from the greater Leinster region. And we know that there are so many more families out there who find it difficult for for many reasons to access the hospice, but travelling long distances with a a very sick child can be very difficult. And so for us, I suppose part of our strategy is around looking to see how we can bring aspects of our hospice care closer to home for families. And so when we look at the, the population demographics, we know that the Munster region Outside of Leinster, Munster is is the most uh, populated for children who who are estimated to, to have palliative care needs, and so we 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 estimate about 192 families in the Munster region that would require hospice care and um, so we're looking at Cork to be I suppose a, a central location where we could look to access those families from that base. And have you any plans in at the moment? So yeah, so I suppose at the moment, I suppose what is what is what I should say is that palliative care as a whole is a very very collaborative um, piece. Lorlin, I suppose, are are one piece of the jigsaw in in supporting these families. And so anything that we do uh, as an organisation, we will do in collaboration with all of the other stakeholders that provide care to children with palliative care needs. So that. That includes the community care teams, the adult hospices around the country, uh, the acute services, the, the specialist palliative care teams um, and other disability services. So everything that we do, we try to do uh, with a collaborative approach so that we make sure that we're not duplicating service. So I suppose the first step for us was to talk to our colleagues down in Cork uh, to identify suppose, what services are available. And so we're keen to to collaborate as best we can with, with, with existing services, um, as I say, to, to make sure that ultimately the needs of these families are met and so at this stage we hope to provide some supports um, I would say I'm aspirational that they would happen this side of Christmas uh, with a view to rolling out the full service in early 2022 Fantastic Fantastic Well done Keep us informed uh, Kerry and if there's anything we can do to help you out from a publicity point of view we're always here for for you and of course in order to continue uh, your amazing work people can donate or organise a fundraiser for Laura Lynn Absolutely. We, we, I mean, the general public have been absolutely phenomenally supportive, especially through COVID. And so if, if people out there want to get involved, I would say the best thing to do is to visit our website, www.lauralyn.ie. And the fundraising team will, would, would love to hear from you uh, if you'd like to get involved. OK, listen, continue. Good luck to everybody on the team. And uh, we really enjoyed chatting to you this morning. Good morning to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Bye bye. Kerry Lafferty there, CEO of the truly, truly amazing Laura Lynn House. Somebody wants to know, is it true that teachers are the latest group to demand a payout for the pandemic bonus? Yes, it is. And I'll bring you more details of that. Afternoons at 11. Also afternoons at 11, we've got a family law solicitor who's offering advice on access visits when a couple separate. And Jerry has been on when we were talking about ambulance service and Pat Buckley 
Deputy Pat Buckley was making the point that Cork is so big we need more ambulances than we currently have. Jerry says if you're travelling from Castletown Bear to Dublin you'd be half your halfway point would be Mitchellstown and you'd still be in County Cork. That's just how big the county is. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This just... This following text just sums up some of the texts that we had in with regards to the news that teachers are the latest group of workers who are looking to the government to say if there's going to be a pandemic bonus, a COVID bonus, a payout of some kind, then teachers want to be included as well. Morning, Patricia, says this listener. I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Teachers actually have the cheek to look for the proposed frontline workers bonus payment. My God, they were off for half the year and they were off on full pay. What did they do when you think about what hospital and medical staff had to do. They are the true frontline workers. They're a disgrace to think that they even want to be considered. I'm disgusted, says this listener. And we've had many more texts and calls similar to that. Now, teachers themselves will say they didn't have half the year off. They were working from home and they were doing the Zoom classes and they were trying to help teach from the home situation. And they would possibly say that that was uh, very stressful. But just to update you on on the latest on where the government are at with this COVID bonus uh, payment. What's been spoken about today by Fionnán Shane, the political editor with the Irish Independent, he's saying that a tax-free voucher for up to €500 is being considered. Now that would be along with this extra bank holiday that everybody is going uh, to get and that's what's on the table at the moment as a reward to frontline workers. The government though is very worried that it is going to, this, this increasingly divisive reward is going to end up causing some kind of a backlash and in particular the coalition is concerned Uh, who to include and who not to include and will it risk the repeat of what happened when there was a prioritisation given to healthcare staff. Remember the start of the vaccine rollout and it was said that the healthcare workers were going to be first to get the vaccines. Now the majority of people saw that as the absolute right move. But then that led to other groups coming forward and saying teachers were one of the groups that were trying to insist that they should be you know, top of the list when the vaccines were being rolled out. The Gardaí were there uh, saying that they should be high up the list because they were dealing with members of the public on a daily basis and this was the very, very early days of the rollout of the vaccine and we saw how divisive that rollout was. So the Coalition are worried if they start now and make this announcement that this is what they're going to give Two frontline workers, you're going to have all these different groups saying we should be, be included because it's already started and the government haven't even decided what this bonus payment is going to be. But as I say, the latest now is the, the offer that they're considering could be this tax-free voucher of up to €500. Euro. Now, the extra bank holiday this year, and that will be to mark the efforts of all frontline staff and all workers and is also, I imagine, is going to mark the lives that have been lost and the families who have been bereaved because of COVID. That now is almost looking like it's going to be a certainty. At this stage, it really is just down to uh, dotting the I's and deciding what date that extra bank holiday is going to be. Fault Ireland are obviously thrilled about the idea of an extra bank holiday because they say an extra bank holiday weekend between now and Christmas could generate more than 
20 million euro for the economy due to tourism. So that so there's there's a kind of a spin-off benefit to having the extra bank holiday. Now there also was talks that we could have what they were calling a super bank holiday weekend whereby you would have a Friday and a Monday off. There was people were saying why don't they go with that? That's been ruled out. I haven't got a reason for it, but that certainly has been ruled out, ruled out. The additional bonus payment or this uh, paid leave that's also been considered, but the latest option is this voucher. Now it's up to five hundred. It could be anything from two hundred and fifty euro to five hundred euro. Tax credits or a straight up bonus payment is also on the table, but there's a problem that uh, cash payment on top of existing wages that would be subject to income tax PRSI and USC so workers particularly workers at the higher level of tax they'd lose a chunk of that straight away now no businesses can privately reward staff up to 500 euro but we're talking about the government and the civil servants and the public servants now maybe the government could some way avail of that mechanism as well but that's obviously going to have to be looked at if they do decide to give this cash payment instead now while private and public sector workers alike would be everyone would benefit from the bank holiday it's only the frontline public workers who will receive the financial bonus and you can straight away there see people who work say in nursing homes to stay with the healthcare staff nursing home staff are straight away going to buck and say we were there we were at the cold face of it we were on the front line we held the hands of dying patients when their families weren't allowed in but they work privately in the private uh, sector and nobody you know the government can't force private individuals to pay their workers this extra bonus so you can straight away see that but if it's the government paying out to the public workers then you've got the queues of people lining up behind the healthcare uh, uh, workers and there's just going to be a huge huge difficulty about deciding who's entitled to the payment and how many workers are actually involved because even within the health sector there's going to be discussions around well who was actually frontline staff and who was working in the healthcare at the time of the pandemics when the pandemic was really bad in this country but they weren't quite frontline staff so you can see oh the nightmare of trying to sort this out now the bonus is expected to be announced in the coming weeks it'll be before the budget the budget is going to be a fortnight yesterday the cost of the bonus that's yet to be determined and I suppose it'll depend on who they're going to give it to and how many workers are involved so they haven't got a figure on how much it is going to, to cost we do know that um, um, uh, Michael McGrath came out last week the finance minister uh, or the public expenditure minister he came out last week and said that if they went with the 10 days of paid leave which is what the nurses have asked for and he said if you pay that out right across the public sector then he was saying you're looking at well over half a billion uh, euro but what they're all saying is that they want to avoid a divisive approach across the society while at the same time they do think it's appropriate to recognise what has been outstanding work by so many people over the last 18 months. So they, they want to give something back but they just are trying to make sure that it is not a, a divisive. Teachers now are demanding a seat at the talks for this pandemic bonus and they want 
be considered frontline workers and they say, this is a quote from the teachers, they want to, a payment in recognition of their extraordinary efforts in crowded classrooms. You've got all of the teachers' unions involved here. You've got the ASTI, you've got the INTO and they've the TUI and they are the latest to demand that they join in discussions with government officials after the healthcare workers' unions. They've already lodged their formal claim for an acknowledgement of their efforts. And we spoke last week about the fact that unions for rank and file guard, the Gardaí and sergeants and inspectors, they say they want a dividend for their dedication to duty during the pandemic. And teachers' unions are now saying that they expect to also be included in any discussions around acknowledgement of workers' contributions during the pandemic. And there was a joint statement out yesterday that says teachers' extraordinary efforts, both face-to-face with their pupils in crowded classes classrooms and in the online learning space have allowed schools to continue to prioritise teaching and learning while meeting children and young people's uh, needs and for that reason they also want to be included. Now a lot of people not obviously not going to be very happy uh, with this and the teachers quite a lot I have to say particularly during lockdowns got a lot of bashing and I know whenever there was criticism of teachers we had teachers at home at the time and they always came on defending you know as what they were doing they felt that they have done they have gone above and beyond uh, the call of duty and because they've gone above and beyond and because they have made extraordinary efforts particularly in crowded classrooms they feel they should be included in this COVID payment as well 1850 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Part-time sales assistant is required for a furniture and a carpet shop in Bantry. Please email your CV and your references to kellyandco.bantry at gmail.com. Qualified plumber is wanted for domestic and commercial work. Full driving licence is required. CVs please to mckneeltd at gmail.com or phone 87 9745447. Supervalue in Mallow. They're recruiting permanent staff. It's for their deli, shop floor and checkout teams. Please apply online at 344-mallow-hr at supervalue.ie or you can call the store direct 022 21662. And Jones Agri, they're based in Ballydesmond. They're looking for a general operative at the moment to work in their yard. Please email jonesagri at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more jobs by going online now. Go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie. I can see a number of comments coming in with regard uh, to teachers being the latest group wanting to be included in any payout or bonus because of the pandemic and and I'll get to them but I want to move to a different issue for a moment because we received the following email from one of our listeners who when you hear the email you'll understand why she wants to remain anonymous and then in a moment I'm going to be joined by Family Law Solicitor Anne-Marie Sheridan from James A. Sheridan Solicitors in Middleton to offer some advice but the email reads as follows Hi Patricia I'm contacting you today in the hope that you could highlight 
highlight and raise awareness of the current, what I feel are inadequacies of the family law system in Ireland and prompt proper discussion and reform of such. I was in an emotionally abusive living situation, no longer a relationship, in a jointly owned family home. I was lucky enough to get out and was looking forward to starting afresh, content with officially becoming a single mother, a role I had held unofficially for the majority of my child's life. However, I was summoned to court by my ex who wanted guardianship and access to our child. I assumed that the family law court would listen to the full story, i.e. the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Unfortunately, I was wrong and my ex was granted overnight access for X number of nights every week as well as ridiculous amounts of access around Christmas a season which he rarely saw his child previously. I had not blocked access on moving out even though in court he claimed I had. I think it is a very, very wrong that a father can punish an ex by taking the child from her. What else is it if that same father refused to mind the child on his days off and begrudged having to mind her while I queued outside Texco for food during lockdown in the summer of 2020 when you weren't allowed to bring children with you shopping? I moved a short distance from the family home last year so he could remain in her life. My ex is still living in the previous house, rent and mortgage free, clearly not interested in my financial well-being or that of his child. This kind of issue should also have been taken into account in court. If somebody can bully with regards to property then there is a strong possibility that bullying was being carried out in other areas, i.e. emotional abuse taking place. There was a recent opened consultation on the Future Family Justice Survey which took place online, claiming to want to reform family law. This reform urgently needs to be done. The current court system is all wrong. The mother is almost treated like a criminal, is not listened to and there's absolutely no empathy. The mother is to accept that her child or children are to be taken from her care for whatever times the father wants, regardless of the father's involvement up until court. In my opinion, the mother's rights are not taken into consideration at all. Some might say Ireland hasn't progressed much in relation to rights of the mother since the 50s and 60s. Thank you for taking time to read my email. Now, uh, we sent on a copy of that email also uh, to Anne-Marie Sheridan of James A. Sheridan Solicitors in Middleton because I just want to talk more around this whole uh, topic. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Uh, Patricia, good morning. Lovely to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you. And there's a number of issues uh, that this listener has uh, uh, brought up. Um, When in court, is the child's access to the other parent, is that top of the agenda for the judge? I suppose it's important to understand that probably every court case is subject to an in-camera rule. So every court case, to benefit all parties, uh, cannot be discussed outside of the courtroom. But the absolute paramount consideration for every person acting within the legal system is the child. Sometimes it's quite difficult to remember that it is, in fact, the child's right of access to a parent rather than the parent's right of access to the child. And it changes the dynamic of an application as well. Um, I have to say that I operate in the district court area of number 20, which covers Mallow, Fermoy and Middleton are the central courts that deal with that system. And my experience is, is that all the parties involved are so hardworking and the courts are so accessible to everybody, which I sort of wanted to highlight to people that they mightn't be aware of from a 
domestic violence aspect, from an access aspect and from a maintenance aspect. I mean, if the mother feels that she was emotionally abused in uh, the relationship, is that taken into account? Absolutely. Okay. So if a client came to me this morning at, say, half past nine, say a Thursday, because Middleton Court operates on a Thursday. If a client came to me at half past nine on a Thursday morning, I could have her in court at half past ten on the same morning. So the courts are there as a service for the public. We just need to access them. It's a privilege to be a member of a court situation that can help everybody. The courts should be a place that people reach for support. They shouldn't be a place that people feel judged or people feel that they haven't had a fair hearing. The district court number 20 all through the pandemic remained open. Any aspect of any domestic violence was dealt with instantly. You're entitled to apply to court without notice to the other party for a protection order. Their district court clerks work really, really hard to prepare the paperwork. Judges in advance of any court sitting will hear family law cases. So I suppose why I wanted to come on the radio today was to explain about the accessibility of courts. Mm. And that there are, you know, Yana is a local group in Mallow that offers support for people to come to court. We use, coming back to the child being the paramount consideration, a voice of a child will always be heard either through uh, a child psychologist or through a supervision expert. But the child is the central aspect of every court case. In the ideal world, uh, Anne-Marie, is it always better for a separating couple to try to sort access visits themselves rather than ending up in a court situation? Well, I always believe that the parents and the couple are the best people suited to come up with a solution. I suppose family law is the definition of compromise because neither person is going to be 100% happy. So there isn't really a winner or loser in a family law situation. No person or people get into a couple situation that expect to separate. And it's trying to put their children first and foremost in a situation, sometimes with my clients, it is important to try to prepare so far in advance of the court that you've explored every option that's available and you figure out what works best for you. So uh, uh, the more experienced family law practitioner would manage a client's expectations and perhaps talk them through how a court case is going to work so that they've explored and nearly come up with a solution in advance of the court case. And sometimes it's a good idea that when one party is offering access to another party to flip it and to say, well, would I be happy if that was the access that was offered to me? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. What happens if a child doesn't want to spend time with the other parent? So I suppose this is a voice of the child's report. It's really important that a child is heard independently of the parents and in I always believe that any couple that are going through a separation, they need a team of people around them. Everybody needs to have their legal advice so they understand exactly what the law is. But you also need counselling for yourself, perhaps counselling or support for your child, and you need your friends and family around you as well. So you need to put that team in place because you are very at a very very vulnerable stage in your life and you need full support. Taking into account the voice of the child report, it's 
children have to be given permission by either parent to enjoy time with the other parents. So in we regularly ask for a voice of the child report, which means that there are wonderful child psychologists in the area that would meet with each couple, each per, uh, person and with the child to try to elaborate in a collaborative manner what would work best for the child. And then it means that the judges and solicitors are given this report from an expert who is trained in the area to work with that information as well. Because you will hear some parents who have separated talk about parental alienation. You will. And that it's a balancing act, which is why we get the voice of the child report. I suppose it's just really important that if a child is put at the centre of this, any, any child psychologist report has always referred to the fact that any child that has both parents in a positive manner in their life has more of an ability to create adult relationships going forward. So I sort of impress on my clients their duty to be magnanimous and allow their child to enjoy time. It may be contact through Zoom. It may be contact, uh, you know, on going to the cinema. But it's a case of being energetic about the access and trying to put the child at the first and foremost. Yeah, and I know uh, in the email as well, the issue of guardianship uh, by the the ex, uh, by her former partner was mentioned. Guardianship, Anne-Marie, is important. This is for couples who are not married. And of course, many couples get together and they're not married and and have children. So it's, I I always believe that I understand uh, where the listener uh, came from. I suppose at the moment, I believe in Ireland that we have first class legislation, but we probably have third class infrastructure. So our legislation now provides for, a, you know, for a lay person, guardianship is a right to be consulted. That's what it is. It, it, it doesn't give either party um, more power than the other person. Previously under Irish law, it was only a married couple that could be automatic guardians. Subsequently, it came that an, an, say, an unmarried person could, in fact, apply to court or both parties could sign a declaration. Under the 2015 Act, if parties live together for 12 months, being three months post-birth, a, person, a father is an automatic guardian. In circumstances such as this, it's a right to be consulted. If the judge feels that it is being used as, as an abuse of power or control, that will be made aware and that will be contested and the judge just makes the decision then based on the evidence before him or her. Okay, and I suppose the most important thing for all couples, they need to put the child first and not use the child in a pawn uh, when when there's an acrimonious split and using one, don't use the child to get back at the other parent. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I say to my clients when they come in either under a separation and remember, the district court can only deal with issues under the domestic violence, access or maintenance. They can't deal and guardianship. They can't deal with divorce or formal separations or cohabitation proceedings are dealt with in the circuit court or any property rights are dealt with in the circuit court. The district court is a court of first instance meant to be accessible to members of the public. So I always ask my clients at the very start is, you know, what would their version of success be? And almost every single parent says that they want their child to come out as unscathed as possible and to have a good relationship with both parents. So I suppose we try, have to try and keep our goals 
lives so that we can keep working towards that goal. So sometimes I say to my clients, you know, when they're starting the process, you know, just write out what you want to achieve and let's keep coming back to that. So I think every parent is normally a wonderful parent that wants to be child-centred. Yeah, that's and that's what's got to be kept in mind. Listen, you're a mind of information, Anne-Marie. We thank you for that. And uh, no thank you very much for taking our call today. Good morning okay, to my you. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye. Anne-Marie Sheridan there from James A. Sheridan Solicitors uh, in uh, Middleton. 1850 Just seeing some of the texts and calls coming in with regard to the pandemic COVID, the bonus payment that we still don't know how much it's going to be but the big question is who is actually entitled to it and who is going to get it. Liz has a suggestion. See how people, what people feel about this. Just give every single adult, everybody over the age of 18, give everyone a 100 euro Christmas bonus and stop all this wrangling. Now that's been done up north. Isn't it Northern Ireland have introduced that? Everybody over the age of 18 got a bonus of our it's a gift voucher, I think, for £100 sterling. And they, I think they can start spending it from Monday. It was a Monday of, of this week. And the whole idea as well is it puts money back into the local economy and they have a space, I think it's three months they have to have it spent uh, with. So that way everybody would get it, regardless of if you were a frontline worker or not. Would people agree with that? Rather than the government getting into this very divisive situation of working out who's entitled, who's not, just give whatever it is this is saying 100 euro give everybody like an all for one voucher kind of thing and with with maybe the premise on it that it can't be spent online that it would have to be spent locally to inject some money back into the economy so there would be a win-win all around there that's the suggestion from Lynn Dan says with all of these I'm going to use the word groups rather than use the word that Dan has used because I don't want to offend anyone teachers Gardaí trying to cash in on the Covid pandemic uh, bonus bonuses with TDs afraid of losing their cushy jobs in the election would you or others hold a 10 minute poll I guarantee the the ordinary people would give them their answer and I'm assuming Dan you would would take it to give none of them a bonus and Pat says Patricia nobody is entitled to extra money for what they did or didn't do during the Covid pandemic at the end of the day they were all fully paid on full wages the country was in trouble all of us had to rally around it was everybody's duty to work no ifs, ands or buts says uh, Pat, end of no COVID pandemic bonus for anyone. And somebody else is making the point, wouldn't they lucky to all be on full wages? I lost my job during the pandemic and no sign of it coming back. And that's the reality for a lot of people as well, for sure. 1850 333 103, lines open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. My next guest is a mum from Bandon who has come up with what I I think is a rather novel toy rental scheme that's an environmentally friendly way of helping children swap toys. Janelle Sanders joins me with more uh, details about the Clever Tots Toy Club. Uh, good morning to you, Janelle. Hi, good morning. Uh, you're, you're, you're very welcome. OK, take me back uh, as to how you came up with the idea for this toy rental club. You were living overseas, I believe. Yes, at the time we were living in Dubai and I was pregnant with my son Orlando and like any first time mom was looking up everything that you needed for a new baby and obviously one of the things was toys and I came across the concept of a toy club. Now we're very lucky there was one operating in Dubai so we were using that while we were there and absolutely loved getting our monthly delivery of toys. 
But when we moved back here last year, we really struggled with finding anything that was doing the same. That's when we came up with the idea to start it ourselves. Okay, outline how a toy club works. So the way we do it is that you sign up online as a member and then you get a box every month of four toys. And then after a month, when the new box arrives, you hand back the whole box that comes back to us. They're cleaned, they're sanitized and then they're sent to a new family. So. And the toys are obviously all age appropriate. Are you select what you want? How, is that, how does that work? Yeah, so we've got Olin Morin from Cognicus, who's a child neurodevelopment expert. So she has specially chosen all the toys depending on your child's age and all the toys are then from eco-friendly, sustainable brands. So they're great toys for your child. I, I love the idea that you've gone eco-friendly and sustainable. But the other way from an environmental point of view, you talk to any parent with young children and they'll tell you there's a toy room or there's toy boxes. Children tire and bore very quickly of a lot of toys. And especially when they're so young, like the amount of growing and developing they do between three months and three years, they're learning so much new stuff all the time. And they just grow out of a toy so quickly. And it's bored to them because it doesn't meet their needs anymore. They need a little bit more of a challenge, a new toy that will challenge them to help them learn. So great excitement every month when there's a ring at the doorbell. and It's a courier, is it? It's outside the door with the box of toys. Exactly, and it's more fun. You open up a box of toys, you've got four great toys, or even what I used to do when we used to get delivery is that I take, because he's so little, I take one toy out one day, and a yeah. day or two later, I take another toy out. So I kept it going for nearly a week of new toys. <laughs> it's like Christmas morning every month is happening in, <laughs> is happening in, in the household. And as you say, they come back. You were pains to point out, I was on your website uh, yesterday, fully sanitised everything is then to get passed on. Oh, completely sanitised because it's so important. I think even pre-COVID, you want to make sure you're giving your child clean toys. So we use Ecover Zero, which is child-friendly, that removes any dirt, grime, leftover food that's stuck on there, anything that's there that will wash it off. And then we use ozone gas treatment to kill any bugs, germs, viruses, and that kills COVID as well. They look, certainly looking on your website yesterday, Janelle, it look, they look like very um, high-quality toys. Yes, that's what we wanted. We wanted that good quality toys that will last as well. They're very durable. They're mostly wooden, made from recycled plastic. Really good. Like any of the toys before I even went ahead with with a brand, I bought a toy myself on that brand and tried them out. Got my toddler to try them out and he didn't break any of them. So they are definitely very, very good. Now, you know, inevitably it will happen. What if a child gets particularly attached to a toy? Of course, and we do expect that to happen as well. And what we've come up with is that a child really does get attached to a toy. If the parent can like contact us before their new box is sent out, they can keep that toy for another month. They can purchase it off us and just keep it forever, whichever oh, they want. Okay, because I'm sure, did that happen with Orlando? Of course, he was getting quite attached yeah, to one of the toys, so we did that with one of them, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great. So people sign up, it's, it's all done online, I take it. Yeah, it's all done online. They can go onto our website, which is clevertots.ie, or they can contact us through Facebook and Instagram as well. Okay, and I know you've only recently launched. Is it is it going well? Are you already getting parents showing an interest? Yes, I love getting the orders in and picking out the toys. It is just my favourite thing to do now in the mornings is preparing the boxes to go out. Okay, somebody says, what age group is it? Is it aimed at? It's from three from when? Well, three months, I suppose, is when babies start showing an interest in toys up to yeah. three years, isn't it? 
that's it yeah three months to three years Okay and particularly good if you don't have a, if you're living in an apartment or thinking of families in apartments who mightn't have a lot of space because toys can take up a lot of space if you're buying a lot of toys So much space and no one wants that house full of cluttered toys Yeah. so it's great to keep your house clean, tidy toys are being used and the best of all is that it stops toys coming up inside the landfill which eventually they all do They do, they do absolutely so well done it's, 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 it is uh, terrific you came back from Dubai was that at the start of the pandemic you came back? Yeah we're back just over a year now Yeah uh, happy with the move back? Oh, lovely. Great being close to There's nothing like it. Listen, uh, Janelle, good luck with it. Clevertots.ie. That's it. That's Thank the you website very address. Listen, good luck with it. And thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, thanks. That is uh, Janelle Sanders, a young mum from Bandon. Clevertots.ie if you want to check it out. As I say, children did three and three months I like the uh, three months and three years I like the idea of it, the them not going to landfill because you know anyone who's got a smallie at home will tell you the amount of toys but getting something new every month terrific idea terrific idea so uh, good luck to everybody there uh, at clevertots.ie John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 it is Wednesday so Peter Dowder will be joining us if you've got a gardening question you can get gardening questions uh, into us you can text or WhatsApp as well to 08 Six two one zero three one zero three. Still getting a lot of commentary in on this issue of the COVID pandemic bonus and who should get it and who shouldn't get it and how much uh, should it be, and uh, also with all of the other groups that are now coming forward it started out as a bonus just for healthcare workers and really it wasn't even just for healthcare workers I think when it first started getting spoken about I think what everybody visualised was the healthcare workers who were really at the front line those that were working on the COVID wards those that were working in the ICU in the high dependency wards I think that's what a lot of people saw as the frontline workers within the healthcare system and somewhere along the line it has expanded out to everybody working in healthcare and, and you know a lot of people working in healthcare would say we did our bit as well to back up those that were right at the front line of it and out of that now you've got groups lining up behind the healthcare workers putting submissions into the government saying well if you're given out a bonus you need to consider us as well Helen says Patricia let's go with the bank holiday only Everybody got paid for the work that they did during the pandemic. Forget any of this monetary bonus. It is actually disgraceful what is going on and what has been discussed at the moment. In a time of emergency, we all had to put our shoulder to the wheel. We all suffered and we all sacrificed in one way or another. This, I'm feeling, what's been spoken about now, this pandemic bonus, is just pure Read. If this situation goes ahead, much needed resources which are needed, things like our homeless situation, the waiting lists within our health services and the MICA situation, money that could be used for all of those different issues will be used up and it will be used up unnecessarily. I think the government should put a stop to this before it simply gets out of control. There will be much less of a backlash if they reward nobody than if they try to manage the demands of all of the various groups who are now jumping on the bandwagon. In the words of JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, 
ask what you can do for your country. Why do we destroy all our good work by fumbling in the greasy till now, says uh, Helen. That's a well put together text, uh, Helen. And, you know, I think you make a lot of sense. I, I do think that they may have to decide to take this monetary bonus off the table because exactly what you're saying, the amount of people that are going to queue up and say, well, if you give it to them, you have to give it to us. And in many ways, Helen's point is right. Everybody suffered and sacrificed one way or the other. Okay, yes, there were those that went out to work and probably put themselves in the cold face of picking up COVID and did pick up a COVID. But that just wasn't in a hospital setting. We've heard and we know we've heard from people who've worked in shops who picked up COVID while at work we've heard from people who went to all different types of work environments and somebody at work brought COVID in and everybody they were working with got it I know a lot of people are giving out about teachers saying they want to be included for the extraordinary efforts they made in the in the crowded classroom. But also we know that teachers picked up COVID while in the classroom because maybe a child brought it in or another staff member brought it in. So everybody who went out to work, who left the cocooning of their own home and went outside to put themselves at risk. So Helen has a point there that everybody suffered and sacrificed in some way. And those then that did stay indoors, the ones I only spoke about yesterday after that cocooned programme was on RTE, are wonderful, resilient, older people. Many of them suffered by protecting themselves, by locking themselves indoors, but they suffered as well. So if you're, if you're to go on the line, if, you know, does everybody deserve a pat on the back? Does everybody deserve something? Because everybody did their bit in their own way to get through what is an emergency. I mean, I think Helen is right to use the word. It, it is an emergency. So that's why the bank holiday idea is good because everybody, we all love bank holidays and everybody benefits. And I know, you know, people say, hang on a minute, I always have to work in a bank holiday. You do, but if you work in a bank holiday, you you'll get paid extra or you'll get a time off in lieu. So in a way, a bank holiday suits everyone. So Helen's, so Helen's, if she could have an ear to the government would be give that bank holiday to one and all and then simply for once and for all take this idea of everybody getting or people looking for 10 days extra annual leave or some kind of a monetary bonus take that off the table would you be agreeing with Helen who sounds like a very wise woman this morning so Irish Water have been on this is an urgent notice for anybody living in the Donnerail area or anyone whose water is supplied from the Donnerail Regional Public Water Supply following consultation with the HSE Irish Water and Cork County Council they've issued an immediate boil water notice to protect the health of consumers supplied by the Donnerail Regional Public Water Supply. The boil water notice has been put in place due to inadequate disinfection of the water supply which has entered the local network. Now they say the notice applies to approximately 2,400 customers and it is effective immediately. Experts from Irish Water and Cork County Council are working to assess the situation. They're investigating the issue with a view to implementing solutions to lift the notice as quickly and as safely as possible. 
in the meantime, all customers to this supplier advised to please, please boil your water until further notice. That's the Donnerell Regional Public Water Supply, a boil water notice with immediate effect. OK, we need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I just try and get a handle on some of the calls, comments and emails that we've received in with regard to this pandemic bonus payment and teachers now the latest group uh, they want to be around the table with the government um, they say for the extraordinary efforts that they put in in crowded classrooms. Here's just a sample of some of the calls and comments that we have been receiving. John and Cove was on and says everyone's on about frontline workers getting the bonus but nobody's giving out about the government who have left inflation in Increase during the pandemic. John Fields teachers should get this pandemic bonus. They've had to deal with so much in the classroom and continue to deal with it today. Donny is wondering if the bonus goes ahead, if they you know, if they decide that a whole host of people are deserving of it and it could go anything up to a half a billion or even a billion euro at one stage was spoken about. Will that not impact on old age pensioners into the future with regard to, say, increases in pensions, with regard to, say, fuel allowance? That money has to come from somewhere. If it comes from the public purse, which is where it will come from, what will be the knock-on effect? Some calls that John Paul recorded of some listeners getting very annoyed about the notion of teachers getting the bonus. Where's it going to end? All this greed... I want this, you got you got three quarters, I want four quarters, you know? This sort of thing. It's ridiculous. And the teachers should be ashamed of themselves. They got paid. For anybody who got paid to do their job during the lockdown and since COVID started, should be happy they're still alive. And that they got paid. The country has gone crazy with greed. And the politicians aren't helping one bit. I call myself a frontline worker as well. I worked all through the pandemic delivering car parts to keep doctors and nurses vehicles on the road. Yes, when does it stop? Like, I worked all through the pandemic uh, delivering car parts to garages and uh, when I stopped by the girls, they said, yeah, an important thing to keep doctors and nurses on the road, like, you know, and we did. See, another group who could class themselves as frontline workers and the earlier caller, is it all down to pure greed? Some of your WhatsApps in, did the teachers not get the children through all of their exams, all of the Leaving Cert students, and did they not get them good results? They very much deserve this bonus. Heidi says, oh, Patricia, the teachers are always more or less off for half the year. That's even without COVID. The country that should be paying out all of this to the world countries affected by the COVID pandemic is of course China. The book stops there. Hi Patricia on a COVID bonus. The only people who should be granted a COVID bonus are those who directly worked at the cold face of COVID-19. I'm speaking of the doctors, the nurses, the healthcare assistants, the porters and in some cases physiotherapists, dietitians and radiographers or any personnel who had direct care of the sick COVID patients. All A&D staff should definitely be included, including the cleaners, as the environment in which they had to work was also so risky. Difficult task to discern who's eligible, as some hospital staff never laid eyes 
on a COVID patient. Jim says, Patricia, do the teachers ever stop looking for handouts or excuses not to work? As they were off nearly a third of the year on what Jim says paid holidays teachers will object to that Jim and I know that they did online teaching during the lockdown but some didn't put in as much effort as others while that was going on some workers lost their jobs businesses closed and they'll never reopen I heard in Britain that they're giving out vouchers for rewarding the frontline workers and that means it goes back into the local economy like restaurants etc. That's what we need to do uh, here. And then thank you to Paula for this who is a teacher. Uh, glad to hear from a teacher because I know teachers are teaching at the moment they're in class uh, but Paula's on a day off today. Paula says, morning Patricia, I am a teacher and I feel I must point out that it is our unions demanding a seat at the table with respect to a payout, not us the teachers ourselves. I am both appalled and embarrassed by this just as I was when our teachers threatened strike action. I think you will find the vast majority of teachers who are in the classroom feel the very same. Yes, teachers did work hard to ensure education continued in the best way possible under very difficult circumstances, but everyone for everyone but in no way do I nor the majority of my colleagues feel we are in any way entitled to extra payment for this my union does not speak for me and then Paula says in case you're wondering my school is closed today due to outside circumstances in our area which was affecting opening that's how I happen to be listening to your show today while correcting and preparing other school works are still doing the work from home thank you for that Paula but I think Paula is probably right I think a lot of teachers Unfortunately, not unfortunately, teachers are at work today, so they're not listening to the programme. But some of them may listen. We often get teachers contacting us after listening to the repeat at night. So I'm assuming we'll probably hear from some of those teachers in the morning, maybe by email. If anyone's listening to this and it's now night time and you are a teacher, teachers will be very annoyed to hear that they're being, they sometimes feel they get picked on again whenever these issues come up. But I think it's when the unions or insist on a seat at the table, that's what happens. And yet, here's somebody, Paula, speaking and feels she's speaking on behalf of other teachers that they don't feel the very same way and that they're not the ones demanding to have a seat at the table or they're not in any way demanding a uh, bonus. Hi, forget about gift vouchers. I worked in a supermarket all throughout the virus. In October of 2020, I lost my job. So would I still be entitled if they were giving out extra pay to people who worked in retail? Teachers should not get the money. They were home for most of the uh, lockdowns. Noreen says, the effort that the government is putting in to this extra bonus uh, payment of, say, a couple of hundred euro uh, by way a couple of hundred euro uh, voucher which will be forgotten about the day it's paid out or as soon as it's spent not really a big item of personal value could they put the same effort please into recouping the millions that were spent on substandard PPE gear let's not forget the unused ventilators are into an inquiry into how many untested elderly people were transferred out into nursing homes thus bringing COVID into the nursing homes early in 2020 that's where the focus of their attention should be on Porrick is in Glamworth he said Patricia why are the government trying to create problems for themselves and they've got everybody arguing with each other just agree on a particular weekend and allow business 
businesses to allow its employees to take either the Friday or the Monday, have a kind of a flexible bank holiday weekend, whichever works for businesses. Remember the time of year and the fact that not everyone in our, is in work all of the time and not every business can also afford to close for a full day at what is coming into a very busy time of the year that might actually help businesses if they were kind of flexible with regard to the uh, bank holiday. And Michael says, hi Patricia, I think it is madness to give out bonuses or benefits to those who worked during the COVID lockdowns. Remember COVID and this pandemic, COVID is still rampant. Why should anybody get a bonus payment? When you decide to go into any job, you take the good days along with the bad days. Take the fire brigade, the sailor. Does he get a bonus for going through a storm? The guardie whose lives are constantly at risk. The rally driver, the farmer. Those going into a medical field know in their heart and soul the dangers and the pitfalls. Each and every one go into a job and every job knowing full well the pitfalls. If they don't, then they shouldn't be in that job. Then they're there are those that are in it for the money are they in there for the desire and the commitment that's what I would be questioning 1850 John Paul taking your calls and an email into Patricia at c103.ie from Margaret says hi Patricia I agree 100% that frontline staff should be recognised for all the work that they did during the COVID-19 pandemic. There is no price that can be put on the work they put in to keep us safe. There is no price that can be put on their sacrifices they made, they, they made so that they could turn up to look after the most vulnerable. Many of the healthcare workers were separated from their families as they were in fear of bringing COVID home or transferring it to somebody else in the household. The time alone they lost with families and friends can never be recovered. No money will ever compensate for that. This proposal by the government will have a backlash because you can never equate money with the trauma many frontline staff worked through. Now I'm loath to say what about because what about is all we're hearing about. If what aboutery was a sport we'd win a gold medal every time. But what about the thousands of people all over Ireland who kept the country going right throughout the pandemic? They stayed in touch with people. They delivered shopping, medicine and fuel to people. They transported people to appointments. They were the volunteers who were always there and who would do things that nobody sees. You see, Patricia, nobody can put a price on time spent doing good. To have a front line, you also have to have a back line. As, we so have of- as we've so often heard, we are all in this together. This now is being lost in the fiasco of trying to put a price on what was and is priceless. As a one really good email to Patricia at c103.ie. Thank you for that, uh, Margaret. There's another very wise woman listening to this programme. 1850 And does anybody want to offer advice to one of our listeners who's just had a call or a text to say there's a confirmed case of COVID uh, in in her child's school I'm not mentioning the area what do I do to protect my child from getting COVID I know it is like I know it's not my child well obviously it's not your child okay I'm firstly questioning how did you find out because schools are not allowed to tell parents if there's a COVID case in the classroom I also saw a piece earlier on in the week advising parents who've got WhatsApp groups to be very careful about what you put up on a WhatsApp group if you're deciding to share information about somebody having COVID-19 
19. So I don't know how you found out that somebody in your child's classroom or in your child's school has COVID-19. But OK, you're saying it's in the school as opposed to in the classroom. They're not doing close contacts anymore. What they're saying to all parents is you keep a close eye on your children. When they were doing the everybody in the child. The, the child who got tested positive for COVID-19 when they were sending everybody home for the 10 days that was in that pod they were finding there was very low transmission I think it went down at about 5% last week so out of every 100 children that was designated a close contact only 5 ended up testing positive for COVID-19 the other thing is we've known and the evidence is there that if God forbid your child nobody wants your child to get COVID but if, if they get it they, there's very few become very very unwell unless your child has an underlying health condition but then that's a different thing. All I can say to you is you you do keep doing what you're doing. You monitor your child and if you think your child has any symptoms at all, obviously then you keep the child at home and go forward for uh, testing. But the schools are not allowed to tell class or, or anyone in the school setting that there has been a case and as I say just be careful for parents who might be sharing detail on WhatsApps. Uh, we, there was... Uh, I don't know who issued the diktat did it come from the Department of Education but they were just warning parents who've got WhatsApp groups to be careful about the information you are sharing because families and the child have a right to privacy 1850 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Mallow Meals on Wheels they deliver hot nourishing dinners Monday to Friday to the elderly the housebound and to the infirm in the Mallow area Now weekend meals can also be arranged if you or anyone you know would like to avail of this service can you please call 022 51441 that's between 10 a and 1pm or you can contact Eleanor on a mobile number 087 289 Bandon GAA their weekly lotto, weekly bingo my apologies is returning tomorrow night Thursday 8pm in Bandon GAA Pavilion HSE COVID guidelines will apply and bingo in Newtown Chandram is cancelled for this Friday night that's due to a bereavement it'll resume again the following Friday the 8th of October and a charity cycle in aid of the Air Ambulance will be held on Saturday, 2nd of October, starting and finishing in Skibbereen. Now, it's suitable for all abilities and registration will open at 9.30am on Saturday morning with a rolling start due to COVID-19 restrictions. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just on the listener who heard that there's a COVID case in their school and is worried about her child and wondering uh, what she would do uh, now. Uh, somebody says, we got an email to tell us there was a case was in the school. Is that since Monday you got an email? I thought from Monday when they changed the restrictions and the rules around school going uh, children, I thought that schools were not allowed to tell pupils or tell parents if there was a case. So I'm surprised to hear that. Did you get that? Let me know. Did you get that email since Monday or was that an email before Monday? Because certainly up to that 
parents were being contacted either by email or by text. I don't know if maybe schools were doing calls uh, as well. Uh, Patricia, paramedics, number one. This is for the bonus payment. Then doctors, nurses in hospital. Then pharmacy workers and GPs. GP nurses and of course cleaners. Then down along and of course where we buy our coal. They delivered it to us, says Nora in Newmarket. They deserve a COVID bonus as well. It should only be doctors, nurses and healthcare assistants, says this texter. They're the only ones who should get a bonus. One of your previous, I I think this was Margaret on the email, is absolutely right. This country is rampant with greed and selfishness and greed has certainly reared its ugly head. Somebody else says, what a load of bull. Nobody should be getting a bonus. If it is given, I'll never again vote in any future election. Um, on another topic, my 40-year-old son has long COVID. He especially is finding himself breathless, very tired, and he won't be seen at the COVID clinic as he wasn't admitted to hospital. He's at his wit's end, uh, as are we, and he's not getting any chance. I'd go back to your GP. Your GP is the only one who can see if your GP can advise you on what uh, to do. And listen, that's your, your son is not alone. There's a number of people suffering with with long COVID. I, I don't know if he was if he goes on um, social media so a lot of social media groups have started up just offering advice to each other he might get help that way as well but it's it's tough going and I didn't realise that there's a COVID clinic only for those that were admitted to uh, hospital uh, wish your son the best of luck and hope he makes a full recovery soon. Michael says, Patricia re-bonus payment what is the definition of a frontline worker? I believe it is anyone working in a hospital doctors, surgery, pharmacy, nursing home and those people taking who took the swabs, surely they should be classed as frontline workers. They put their lives at risk. I don't think teachers, members of Angarda Siakona, bus drivers, train drivers, uh, they should not be included. What about the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, those working in the co-op supermarket? The list goes on and on and on. We have to draw the line somewhere on this and I think therein uh, lies uh, the problem for sure. Someone else says, I am sick of people looking for money. Everyone should be thankful that they're alive. That's from uh, Janet. A number of people are saying that as well. Just thank God if you if you got COVID, you survived, or if you didn't get COVID, that you didn't manage uh, to get it. Okay, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. We are particularly looking for your gardening questions, please, because Peter Dowdell is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes to answer your gardening questions for this week. And while we're waiting for those to come through, just a couple of other issues and other topics that we were discussing today. Oh. This kind of ties in with what we were talking about with the ambulance service earlier on and talking about Onakara, the closure of that mental health service and how more money is needed to go into the health service. And yet we're also talking about healthcare workers getting this bonus. Ross has a suggestion. If there is money available by way of a COVID payment for healthcare workers. Healthcare workers are constantly saying how stressed and under pressure they are because they don't have enough staff and therefore they have to do so much extra work. Why not use that money to pay for additional staff which would take pressure then off workers who are working at the front line and that's not a bad idea. We were also talking about access in the courts when it ends up when family law when a couple unfortunately separate and it can be an acrimonious break and they're trying to decide on access and when the child gets to see mummy or daddy whoever they're living with they need to get access to the other parent and we had advice on from uh, Anne-Marie Sheridan a solicitor today 
who was responding to an, a pretty sad email that we received in from a listener who feels she was very unfairly treated when she went to court, court uh, because her husband got a- her partner, I don't think they were married got access to their child and she was against uh, it. This texter says in an ideal world a father shouldn't accuse his ex-wife of child abuse and be able to retract it without even getting a slap on the wrist after causing all sorts of drama. In an ideal world they would pay child support and not keep moving jobs when there are attachment of earning orders just to make the mother have to head back into court again until they're named and chained. Nothing will change and that's never going to happen because all of those family law issues are dealt in camera and it's done not to protect the mother and father, it's done to protect the child. But you're back again to the issue of what we touched on with Anne-Marie children being used as pawns when relationships break down and it really, really is unfortunate. Nobody goes into a relationship, either gets married or into a long-term committed relationship. Nobody believes that that relationship is going to break down. But when it does and if there's children involved, things can get very bitter and the child gets end up drawn between, you know, pulled between pillar and post between the two parents and the child can get used as a pawn to try to get at the other parent, which is just so unfair because of the effect that it's going to have particularly if they're very very little ones but unfortunately that happens it happens all the time and then we were also talking with that lovely young mum from Bandon Janelle Saunders who was talking about this company that she set up to allow people to rent toys rather than buy toys from three months to three years of age children can go through a lot of toys at that age because they can get bored with them and get fed up with them so she's come up with this company that she set up because when she lived in Dubai that's what they used to do for her little boy they used to rent toys so once a month the box arrives new toys four toys for that month and then you hand back the other ones and on and on it goes and uh, she said it was hugely successful in Dubai and she's set up the same thing uh, here a Douglas listener was listening to that and said I took my five year old grandson into Smith's Toys just last Sunday he spent an hour trying to decide what he wanted he eventually picked up a rubber snake I'm dreading Christmas says a Douglas listener can I just say how sweet and lovely your your grandson is that he didn't go in and say Nana can I have the biggest toy in the shop and go for the most expensive that all he wanted was a little rubber snake he sounds to me like he's a little lad that he's very easily pleased and you can be very thankful for that Uh, it means that no matter what you buy him at Christmas he'll absolutely love it I guarantee you 1850-333-103 let's take a break and let's come back with Peter Dowdle answering your gardening questions Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And just before we go to Peter, just to go back to that boil water notice that's an immediate effect for people who get their water from Donnerail. I'm also told that it is affecting areas of Shambally Moor, obviously Donnerail, but also the Donnerail side of Bottevant is also affected. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And John Paul said he's put a map up on the C103 Facebook page which shows you the area that is affected but that boiled water notice from Irish Water is, comes in with immediate effect. Now, Peter Dowdle joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Uh, good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well, and we are in, inundated with questions, so we'll do our best to get through as many of them as we can. Uh, starting with a question in about a Grisolinia hedge, which was set last year. It's grand, says the listener, but there are four or five of them that died. Don't know why. Can I set them now again because they're in the middle of the hedge? Or would you suggest waiting a while? What should I do? Well, in the greatest political way uh, possible, can I say, I'll I'll answer that question in a second. (laughs) Can I just throw in one comment on what you were talking about before, earlier there today? Yeah. Uh, You were talking about the the bonuses for everybody. Yeah. I don't want to get involved in the rights and wrongs of (laughs) one person. And I I presume, I hope they've been given a shout out already, but one group of people that I absolutely think deserve a bonus, and it's not from the government, but it's from their employers, is the supermarket workers. I think they were absolutely fantastic in local Dunn stores and things like that. Yeah, and in fairness... absolutely were there. In fairness to Micheál Mark, I heard him in the States when we first started talking about this when he was in New York uh, last week. He came out and said he was the first one to say retail workers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was in Dons like most people every week uh, and I know some of them put up with dogs abuse and they put up with they were there every day even when they must have been nervous themselves and uh, I just absolutely, I'm in awe of them and I absolutely think Duns and Tesco and all these guys who made huge profits over the last year and a half, it's absolutely a moral responsibility of them to give their workers a, well an done. increase. But anyway, well, okay, moving, back- on to the, moving on to the Grisolinia hedge. <laughs> so yes, uh, she doesn't say whether she, she planted the Grisolinia hedge bare root or potted uh, last year and I'm guessing it was probably bare root because very often what happens, Chris, when you plant something bare root, you'll, you, you'll be used to me saying about the importance of watering it in the first year. And this is why very often when you plant a bare root hedge, it's, not, it's quite common to lose a few plants in year one. And more often than not, the reason is lack of water. And I know you could look back and say, but we had a very wet this or that. But even a week when they dry out, some of them could die. So I suspect it's nothing more sinister than that. I wouldn't think there's any big issue. Uh, and yes, you could replace them. If you're going bare root again, you're still a bit early. I would say you really want to wait till November. Uh, but if you want to replace them with plants that have been grown in pots, yes, you certainly could do that now. But bare root is just a bit early. Okay, Breda in Mallow has sent on a picture of what she has describing herself as the large green shamrock-like stuff. Uh, it's growing up amongst other green leaves. She said, the other green leaves, I know that they are bay tree shoots. Uh, I must get out more, says Breda, but how do I get rid of it? And it, it looks like clover. 
I know exactly but, what it is, actually. I haven't seen the picture, but I can guess because you often see it coming in with bay leaf plants. It must be from the nursery. It's, uh, I suspect it's a trefoil. It is. like It's pretty much clover, yeah. It, it's uh, a trefoil. And is her question, how does she get rid of it? Yeah. yeah I don't have a magic wand. It's difficult because it, the, the, the roots of it uh, have... Like, it's not doing any damage. It, it's just maybe a bit unsightly but it's not certainly not doing any damage but the roots of it have, have entwined with the, the bay leaf at this stage so it really just is a case of every time you see it pull it, out. it out and now and it's, it if, will snap and you'll leave roots below but yeah if, if it, it, I, I'm sure I've got similar stuff grows in my garden as well and it comes up quite easily just keep pulling it out that's all you can do really yeah, yeah that is all you can do but as you say it comes up easy but you will leave some of the root system it's yeah. unavoidable in the ground and you can't dig it out because you're digging out the roots of the bay as well so it's just I'm afraid a question of staying on top of it Okay Kate uh, well done to Kate she said a wild flower section in her garden this year was wondering do I cut it back now to grow next year or do I just leave them all to wither away that's a great question because it's a question I'm being asked an awful lot at the moment so yeah uh, we're at the time of year so most wildflower selections that you will buy most uh, they they may say it on the packaging but if if you don't still have the packaging you could accept that most of them are a a collection or a, a mixture of annual species biennial species and perennials so what that means Trish is you have you will have got a certain amount of color in the first year from your annuals Next year, you'll get a certain amount of more colour from more annuals, but also the biennials, which take two years to flower. And the perennials will begin to emerge in year two, but really it's from year three onwards that the perennials will take over. And that's when you see the actual natural tapestry. So what it looks like in year one compared to what it looks like in year three and four would be very, very different, right? So the answer to the question, at this time of year, when most of those annuals have flowered uh, and are finished flowering and now they're setting seed, you now cut it back. Uh, you could trim it or cut it back with, a, with a, a shears, whatever. Just cut them back and leave the trimmings on the ground, Trish, so that the seed in the seed heads will disperse back into the soil to give you that. So it becomes self-sustaining, if you like. So those annuals will set seed and give you more plants for next year. And then after about maybe three or four weeks, when the seeds have had more than enough time to get back into the soil, then you collect the trimmings. If you don't collect the trimmings, you're leading to, to bad growing conditions. So you do need to collect the trimmings, but after a few weeks... Uh, you just collect them, rake them up and into the compost bin or the compost area and then off you go again for next year. Leave it to nature. Pat wants to know what to do with new rhubarb for the winter. Do I put it into the ground? This summer I never touched any of the rhubarb. Do I need to cut it back? Uh, when he says, does he need to put it into the ground? I'm, I'm guessing so that it's in a pot. Uh, yeah, I would think it will do better in, a ground, in the ground, certainly. So I would put it into the ground and do do it now. Wouldn't be scared of the winter. I mean, don't worry, rhubarb is tough out. If we obviously, if we get a, a very severe winter, like a beast from the east again, you'll need to put fleece or clash over it. Uh, uh, but put it in, and when you're planting a plant with lots of good organic matter, the, the more you feed uh, rhubarb, the better it'll do. Uh, good seaweed from the beach or composted seaweed or a good seaweed feed will do it no, no end of good. You don't need to cut it back, no, it'll die off naturally itself as the temperatures drop. Uh, so yeah I would put it into the ground I would feed it and you could mulch around the top of it you don't want to bury the crown too much but you could mulch around the side of the crown with good organic matter as I say uh, like like a seaweed or, or your homemade compost Okay Mary has an Escalonia hedge which she says has diseased yellow leaves on it she's wondering should she spray it if so with what and when well, Mary, you're not alone is the good news. I would say nearly every Escalonia hedge in the in the country, well, particularly in County Cork, actually, is particularly bad down here, ha- has this problem. 
uh, and you see yellowing of the leaf and you see this other discoloration like black and brown spots and a lot of leaves falling. Uh, unfortunately, if you take no action, it will get worse, okay, and it, it, it'll weaken the hedge to the point of killing it eventually, I'm afraid. Um, so yes, you do need to take action. So it's a kind of four-pronged approach, but there's really nothing to do at this time of the year. You really would need to wait till next spring, I would say. You could give it a bit of a trim now if you wanted, but next spring, uh, cut it back, you know, relatively hard. You want to remove as much of the diseased material uh, as possible. Now, I suppose maybe I should say if there's only a few bits of it going yellow, you could certainly prune them out now, but if it's widespread throughout the hedge, wait till the spring. Uh, cut it back quite hard. Drench the, he drench the hedge and the soil around with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. Feed it then, feed it heavily with something like the Nature Safe Liquid Seaweed because it's a very good feed to use on it or any good strong seaweed feed, okay? Uh, and the other thing, and this is the, maybe the hard bit, you need to try and make sure that it's very clean around the plant. These, these are all cultural control methods by the infection, by pruning it uh, and then by feeding it to make it more resistant and then making sure that there's no diseased material left in the soil. So any dead leaves, dead trimmings, I know that can be very difficult and impractical and maybe impossible in some situations. But if you can remove as much of it as possible and, and, and dump them away from there uh, so that the, the spores don't go back into the soil. And I think, Trish, it's probably advice, let's say if I've given that advice a hundred times, mm. I've certainly had 80 or 90 people say that, you know what, it's worked. Some will say it's worked to a degree and others will say it's worked very well. So it is worth doing, definitely. Okay, Sheila uh, says, is there any point in applying fertiliser to mature Leylandi trees and also to a young lemon cyp cypress tree from now on? If so, what fertiliser would you suggest? I would say no, uh, and therefore I won't suggest any because with a mature, any mature plant shouldn't need any feed. It's getting everything it needs from the soil. So a mature plant shouldn't. There are, there are exceptions to that, obviously, if you have a plant growing where, where it's not getting specific nutrients. But in general, any mature plants would be fine. They won't need feeding, in particular laylands. They definitely don't need feeding. Um, your lemon cypress, then, even though it's new, that should grow away fine as well, all on its own. The most important thing, give it good soil, uh, give it quite a sunny aspect and keep it well watered again if it's new uh, but it really shouldn't need any fertilizing it should be absolutely fine all on its own but uh, in more general answer to fertilizing at this time of the year i wouldn't because you don't want to be feeding plants as we're coming into the winter because when you feed them and when you fertilize them you're, you're obviously promoting new growth and that new growth then is, is tender and quite vulnerable and quite quite uh, prone to frost damage later in the year okay another list of my lilies didn't flower this year but they didn't flower last year either just leaves what's the problem they could be, depending again, I always kind of shudder when I hear the word lilies because people describe a multitude of plants as lilies. And I'm not, I'm not saying this just to be technical and a show off, but it actually helps to answer the question. So the correct, the lily, lilium is the correct plant for lily. They're the oriental and the Asiatic lilies, the ones you'd see in your, your bunches of flowers, if you like. Um, and if it, that's the type of lily we're talking about, well, then they're grown from bulbs, Trish, the same as daffodils or tulips. And very often what can happen is the bulb has just got congested and it may need to be divided. Um, I'm taking it that they used to flower and now they don't flower anymore. So that if that's the case, if, if that's not the case, then that they've never flowered there, maybe just give them a feed with tomato food or something like that in the spring. But if they flowered in, the, uh, in previous years and now they've stopped, I think the, the group, the, the clump has just got congested uh, and it'll do no harm at all this time of the year to lift them and divide them into individual plants and, and replant them out again. And then, then you'll, in, have, more, you'll have more lilies than ever next year. Okay, Kat in McCroom. That's it. Kathy McCroom has hydrangeas. Now she has, her soil is limey, so they always end up a pale pink. She'd love to turn them into that lovely wine colour that she sees in other hydrangea pants. How can she do it? 
the the okay hydrangeas are what's called ph sensitive trish which means that they'll grow in any soil in any ph but the, their flower color will be determined by the ph of the soil so what that in effect means is uh, you have pink varieties and blue varieties but they'll all it, it's not an exact science so if you add aluminium sulfates to your soil uh, that's a soil acidifier that will turn pink hydrangeas blue but then it's also determined by the variety of the plant okay so that lovely wine color that she's looking for is probably more determined by the variety of plant that she's growing as opposed to the ph of the soil if you can follow me okay so i the only thing i could suggest to her is give it some aluminium sulfates which is sold as in garden centers and that as as hydrangea colorant okay so if you add some of that hydrangea colorant to the soil a few times during the year that will begin to change the color but the variety, because nature is so obviously magical and every every spot is so unique, the the, the colour change will be unique to that point in the in the soil and to that variety. So what difference it will make, time will tell. Uh, you might be better off looking for uh, a wine variety. And of course, I'm drawing a blank now as to wine varieties of hydrangeas, but there are many with that rich purple colour. And maybe a quick bit of homework first to look for the right variety that you like and plant that it should it'll probably give you that wine color in limey soil anyway mm, okay and also cat says her tomatoes have split have split this year and before you say anything said she kept them well watered mm-hmm. well it, 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 the reason she says that is because i very often yeah. would suggest the answer to that is erratic watering where you, you have a gap between watering um so i'm taking it that that wasn't the case it could be a calcium deficiency in that case uh, and it's not so much that there mightn't be enough calcium in the soil but that the, it, it can't travel up the plant so I would say, uh, I wonder did she feed it with a good tomato food during the year, like the Nature Safe tomato food, which is probably the best of them, and it's organic. Um, if it's not erratic watering, then the next thing is normally calcium deficiency. So I'd say it's one of the two would be my best guess. Okay, Jane in Mallow uh, says she's got a sedum plant. It's planted in a container. Yeah. They're doing really well, but the stem just bent over and it now looks like it's dying. It looks extremely unhealthy. She said plenty of water, but the leaves look like they're burnt. Okay. Uh, two thi- well, several things there, actually. Number one, the, 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 pl- the flower stem falling over is just physics, actually, more than horticulture. It just gets too heavy up on top. These beautiful, beautiful um, flowers, loved, of course, by the bees and butterflies, but they do get quite heavy uh, and they're brittle. Now, they are herbaceous, so what that means, Trish, is that they'll just die back soon for the winter anyway. So don't worry, like, very often my sedums fall over and they look absolutely desperate and then they, they come on again perfectly next year. So don't worry would be the first thing. However, uh, in a pot, of course, they're less likely to, or they're more likely to fall over because they, they'll have more support in the open ground, okay? But the other thing is, is she says well watered, so and the, the leaves look burnt it might even be getting too much water if the leaves look that burnt it might be a bit too much water i would say send in a picture either send it to myself uh, on facebook at the irish gardener or send it into john paul there in the radio station uh, and i'll have a look at it see if okay. i can give more specific advice but i wouldn't worry okay and anne in Fomoy has apple trees uh, four of them the leaves are perfect but the branches have what she describes as gooey stuff it almost is like honey sticky stuff what would you recommend it's probably a thing called gamosis, which unfortunately is a sign of canker. Um, so I don't want to, to frighten too much and give bad advice, but maybe again send us in a picture so I can be specific. But it does sound like canker. I'd say if they're mature trees, I get a good tree surgeon up in the first instance to have a look at it and see what can be done. OK, all right, we will leave it there. Are you busy at the moment? 
we're up the walls of the Today Show starting again, so we're back on that. And Brilliant. I don't know if I've sp- spoken to you since, but uh, congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're very kind. Because well actually, it was on well a Wednesday. Deserved. It was on a Wednesday. I was I was off getting it while John Paul was on, and we were keeping it. We had to keep it quiet. You, you, you were off gallivant. That's you were off it. Gallivanting. That's it. Okay, listen, we'll talk well to you done. next well week. Deserved. Thanks a million, Thanks Peter. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowd of the Irish Gardener, uh, dot, uh, com. He will be back with us next uh, week. Just a couple of quick uh, texts in on the bonus payment. A listener is making a very bold suggestion. Give the bonus payment only to trainee nurses. We know that they are not paid well. And somebody else says inflation is going out of control. If we consider this bonus payment, it would get even worse. Rents are uh, rising and the roads are lethal and yet they have money to pay a bonus. Okay, that's where we leave it for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Look after yourselves and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.